And now we have little squiggly lines. Warning, this podcast contains topics and discussion that is not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the ENM Talk podcast with Michael and Ellie, where we discuss everything ethical non-monogamy and have intimate conversations with real people from the ENM lifestyle. On this podcast, we'll talk about current events and topics that people who practice ethical non-monogamy can relate to. Our show is not about lifestyle gossip. In fact, the names have been changed to protect the not so innocent. Would you like to be a guest on our show? We want to hear your story. Okay, episode number nine? Yes, I think so. I think it's episode number nine. Pretty sure. I lost track. (laughs) (laughs) Put myself on the spot there. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, I think it's episode number nine. And this episode is our, of course, our monthly beginning of the month. The issue is out. The new issue is out. Right. Podcast. So I am super excited because we have found a new app. I think it's a new app. Yes. One of the one of the things that we have always had trouble with was doing remote interviews. Right. And the sound trying to get the sound right as I'm sure some of our listeners have already discovered, <laughs> trying to get the sound right over the internet or through the phone line or whatever can be really super quite, tricky. Quite quite tricky. So, I found a a website today that uh is is designed for that. It actually takes right. care of that. It it uh uh, allows us to connect remotely with somebody that we're interviewing and it through the magic of their website <laughs> it's all magic it it works and it it actually it uh, we played around with it a little bit for this podcast actually we played around with it for a little bit and I think we still got I still got a couple of little tweaks I got to do on it to make it work right but it's a learning curve. I'm I'm excited to, to be able to bring to our listeners a more um, quality podcast. Yes, a quality sound. Quality sound, yeah. So anyway, lest we waste too much time talking about all of this, <laughs> we should talk about our August issue. Yes, it's I'm, quite full of fun. I'm super excited about the August issue. We are... Uh, Getting ready to do, the first thing we should talk about is the um, the upcoming tattoo issue that we're doing. Yes. So that is going to be, normally it's in July. Right. Because July 17th, I think it is. July 17th is National Tattoo, tattoo Day. Day. And so we've always decided that July was going to be our tattoo issue month, but COVID. Yeah, right. So we are doing a tattoo issue. We already have our temptation. We are going to have a temptation. We already have our temptation shot for that. Yes, we do. And we have her interview and everything's all ready to go. 
but what I really need is more tattoo content. Right. And so guess what? So that's where we need the readers. We need you. So <laughs> we, if you're listening to this podcast and you are sporting any kind of ink, I don't care if it's one cute little teddy bear tattoo. We want to see <laughs> that and the rest of you, your sexiness submitted into our tattoo article. Yes, for sure. And the way you find out how to do that is you just go to www.enmmagazine.com. Right. That's E-N-M, Echo Nora Michael. <laughs> E-N-M-magazine.com, kind of like our podcast. And uh, right there, if you just scroll down to where all the blog articles are, right there at the very top, it's a sticky blog. And uh, there is every there's a there's a blog article on how to submit your stuff for the tattoo article. Perfect. So would nice love. I really, really, really would love to see some people yes. get in on that. We would really love to feature you in the magazine. I think it would be a lot of fun. It will be a lot of fun, and and some candid, some fun, and we'll just see the sexy people of VNM. And they can be their photos can be tame. They can have your face in them or not. They can right. be cell phone photos. I don't care. We just want to show off your ink. Right. Uh, you don't have to be identified in them. You do need to be an adult. Yes. That's really the yep. only requirement is you Gotta do need be to be 18. an adult. And I think we ask, I, th- we, I think we just ask you on your honor to verify that you are an adult. Right. <laughs> if I can't tell from your photo that you're an adult, I might make you prove it. Right. So, um, but other than that, yeah, we would just, we're super excited about the tattoo it's, issue. It's and, always a lot of fun. And getting people involved in it and, right. and all of that. And so while we're on the topic of upcoming issues... Uh, we also had the Sexy Summer Photo Contest. Right. And as near as I can tell, only four people entered it. Oh, come on, people. And I only you have... You be in it. It's too late. Yes. They it's had too to late be- for this, but they can get in on the tattoo thing. Right. So, but the voting is going on right now okay. for the Summer Tattoo yes. Contest. So that means three people are going to win prizes. One person is going to win... Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I really wish... <laughs> I really wish we could have gotten more people in on that that particular uh, thing contest. I, um, well, I mean, it's, we're we're still on the ground floor of that, so you know, as time goes by and we do more of them, we'll get more people. I have faith. So anyway, that's what we've got coming up, and sure. um, I'm super excited about that. We're going to have the sexy summer photos are going to be in the the winners will be in the September issue. Nice, and then. Um, and then hopefully we'll get tattoo yes. stuff in. We'll Lots to, of tattoo stuff in. We'll be able to put in. that thing together. But really what we're here tonight for is to talk about the August, August issue. issue. <laughs> uh, so on that note, we have our group therapy article by Nolan Lawless. And we have uh, Nolan actually joining us. It's so exciting. How are you doing, Nolan? I'm doing all right. Good afternoon. Nice to be able to talk to everyone. <laughs> Glad to finally get you on the podcast. So give us a little bit of an idea of what the group therapy article is about or the group, the group therapy column. I'm sorry. Let's talk about the group therapy column just real brief to start with. All right. So group therapy is really addressing issues that are specific to the ethical non-monogamy community that are related to mental health and wellness and how we engage with the intersection between those two things. Right on. 
Right on. And you're approaching it from a clinical standpoint or a clinical point of view, correct? Yes, I am a licensed professional counselor and relationship coach, and I have been practicing in mental health for about 17 years at this point. That is awesome. We are nice. super grateful to have someone Very. like you that's contributing to the magazine and, and getting a voice out there and getting a resource out there for people that are uh, needing a little bit of guidance and that sort of thing and knowing that there's a resource out there for them with you as well as now you're this, the, you know, which kind of leads us into this month's article where you're talking about how to find uh, a counselor to meet your needs. And so tell us a little bit about your, your article there. Well, something that I found over the years, and this doesn't just apply to ENM folks, this really applies to any group that could be considered marginalized or outside of the norm. Finding good counselors has been a major, major obstacle for a lot of people. The number of folks who I have that come into my practice who tell me horror stories about previous experiences that they've had with other clinicians is, it's really kind of upsetting, but a lot of people come from a one-size-fits-all kind of viewpoint when it comes to mental health. And we're taught when we go through school that we're supposed to apply everything to every different group individually, but in reality, all of our theories and all of our experiences kind of get narrowed down into one particular track. So we think that we know what somebody's going to be like when they come in. And one of the things that I talk to clinicians about when I do trainings for them is making sure that identifying these differences and identifying these particular communities and these particular needs is a part of the intake process to make sure that we know who we're working with. Because every single clinician out there who's had more than a couple of handfuls of clients over their lifetimes and their careers has had clients in their office who are non-monogamous. They're having clients in their offices who are LGBTQ+. They're having clients in their office who are kinky. They're having clients in their office who have cultural things that are not being addressed they're not feeling comfortable with sharing them, or when they do share them, they're kind of getting smacked back down and being told, no, that's not the focus of what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. So making sure that you as a non-monogamous person are seeking out a clinician who's not only comfortable with talking about these aspects of who you are, but is willing to look at them as a part of your holistic personhood and be able to address those things and use those things in the work, even if it's not specifically ENM related. Like that's very important. It's very, very important that you feel comfortable sharing these things with whoever your counselor, or your therapist is, and that they be comfortable with hearing that information and being able to have a dialogue about it. Absolutely. That seems like that would be a, a super critical Thing to have uh, that kind of connection with your therapist. And because ENM, for us, ENM is very much a part of your life, but even in all the other cultural uh, aspects, that it's so much an ingrained into your regular life, it seems like it would be impossible to be able to work with a counselor that didn't wasn't able to have that be a part of the process of the therapy. Yeah, absolutely. And we know from lots and lots and lots of research that the number one factor that determines success in therapy in terms of attendance of sessions, in terms of participation in doing the work, and in terms of clinical outcomes is having a good connection and relationship between the therapist and the client. 
And if you as a client feel like you have to hold back a part of who you are during the therapeutic process, you're not going to be able to develop that good relationship. And you are going to be stunted and not be able to get as much out of that therapy as you would if you were able to share entirely. And some of that falls on the client to be comfortable and willing to share those things, but a lot of it falls on the clinician to show that they are willing and able to talk about these issues and to work with them, even if it's outside of their own personal experience. Right. And, and then it also, it comes down to a matter of, it's almost like, uh, like we experience in non-monogamy where it, it is the relationship uh, compatible so having being a part of being able to open up to your clinician is also being able to feel like you can trust this person that you have rapport with them and that they understand where you're coming from. Right. And in this article, I bring up that in terms of kink stuff, the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom divides professionals as kink friendly, kink aware or kink knowledgeable. And we can kind of apply those same kinds of things because you want to make sure that whoever you're seeing is at minimum kind of ethical non-monogamy friendly, that they're aware that ethical non-monogamy exists, that they're not going to stereotype you as cheating, that you're not going to be biased against it or come at you with some sort of mindset that says that we're not willing to work with these issues. But that really is just a bare minimum standard. Like there needs to be more than just saying, oh, well, I'm aware that this exists and that's okay. Because we, as a part of the ENM community, have a different set of resources available to us than what people in the monogamous world have. We have a support structure right. that's already built in. And then we also have, as part of the counterbalance on that, a lot of responsibilities and a lot of relationship requirements that we deal with that maybe not everybody in the monogamous world has to deal with. And the closest thing that I can compare that to is if we have somebody come in who has a step family, who has a co-parenting situation where they have more than one household, we can't just approach that as you have one family because there's a lot more to it than that. And it's the same way with ethical non-monogamy. We can't just say, okay, well, we're going to talk about this one person or we're going to talk about this one couple and that's all we're going to address because there is an entire community at Polycule and it expands and expands and expands. And sometimes what may happen two or three degrees removed has ripple effects that go into our relationships and go into the way that we interact and perceive our lives. And if we're not able to talk about those things in the therapy room, then the clinician isn't getting the information that they need and the client's not getting the services that they need. And that's got to be particularly challenging because not only in that in that environment, like it, it just ripples all the way out, but also no two ethical non-monogamous relationships or no everybody's situation is going to be completely different. So there has to be some flexibility in that as well for the clinician, I would assume. Right. And that goes along with the idea that you have to, as a clinician, have a good education about what sorts of things are out there, because otherwise people are going to walk into your office and use terminology and have structures and situations that you have no familiarity with. And one of the most common complaints that I hear and that a lot of other clinicians hear from ethical non-monogamous folks who come into our offices finally after trying several other therapists is, 
my last therapist or my previous therapists or every therapist I've ever been to expected me to educate them and spend all of this time in therapy just talking about what it means to be non-monogamous, what it means to have these kind of relationships. And I didn't feel like they were actually getting to helping me because I was spending all of the time educating them. So again, when I work with clinicians and I'm trying to teach them how to be more responsive to ENM clients, one of the first things that I do is I say, you need to do your work. So in terms of a very basic vetting for going to a therapist, if you're an ENM person and you want to have a therapist who knows what's going on, ask them, hey, what books have you read? What podcasts have you listened to? What blogs have you been reading? And if they look at you like you have two heads, then that's probably not going to be <laughs> not the one situation. for you. Yeah. And if you kind of take a look over at the bookshelf that's in their background and you see a copy of The Ethical Slider, you see a copy of More Than Two, then you have a reasonable understanding and expectation that even if they don't know everything about your situation, which they're not going to, that at least they have the basic framework to be able to talk about these things. And it's like any other kind of competency as a professional, you shouldn't be working with folks that you don't know anything about. Right. Well, that's all we have time for for this particular uh, segment, but I'm really excited about this article. I, I know just a handful of people just in my own world that are probably going to benefit just from the, the little nuggets of wisdom that you, that you put out in it and, Super excited to have that be a part of the offering that we have this month. So, uh, and hopefully we're going to get some time scheduled uh, with you where we can just kind of get to know you a little bit and bring, introduce our community to Nolan Lawless. That'll be really cool. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate both of you giving me the chance to be on here today. Awesome. Great. Thank well, you. thank you very much. Good talking to you. And then the next article in our magazine is our Dear Kitty right. uh, article. And I'm going to read the, we're going to read the Dear Kitty letter to you. Dear Kitty, a close friend of mine was recently grilling me about my lifestyle choices. They couldn't understand why I would involve myself with someone outside of my primary relationship. I know what my reasons are, but in that moment, I felt cornered and didn't know how to respond. They also ask me why a married person, why be married at all if you're going to be in a several different relationships? Wouldn't it be easier to just be a free agent? What would be the point of being married? These are actually questions I get oft, asked often, and I often have a hard time articulating all of the things that make this work for me. Perhaps you have some insight that could help me find the language I need to help people understand. Signed, can't find the words. Uh, I love her response. It's it's not a direct like word for word type of answer, but it gives you some good tools. I don't know that this question is a typical dear kitty question in that it's a hey I have this problem in my relationship and I need some guidance on right. it. And so it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting question to start with, but it's something that I think that we as poly people have come up quite All often. The time. And I know it's something 
that Kitty is super, super passionate about. Right. And so uh, we're going to, you and I'll kind of chat about it a little bit, but I'm not going to get too much into Kitty's side of this. Right. And I don't want to delve on it too long because I'm trying to get Kitty to come on and do do a full episode about this. I sent sent her a message today. We'll see. (laughs) Um, Hopefully she says yes. Right. So we just kind of got to wait and see. What she says. Right. I'll get her on here. Don't oh, you worry. yeah. It's just a matter of plugging her into her busy schedule. So so the 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 aspect of being married and being poly, I think, really, for... I think there are actually two different types of, of poly people out there. There are the solo poly people, and then, then, then there are the married, plural right. poly people. And the approach is entirely different. Right. Like a lot of times married people have hierarchy. Some of us don't, uh, or some of us, we have hierarchy, but we, we tend to kind of push it and shove it aside. Um, so I think that's a big part of it, but really it's about, it's about more love to me. Right. And, uh, and, and at least speaking for me, I I mean, I love all my partners, (laughs) but but I don't love my partners necessarily the same way. Well, no. And so I don't love my partners the same way that I love my spouse, for right. example. It, um, it's every, everyone's different. I mean, each individual is, you love them in the way that you have set up your relationship with them. Right. I know you have kind of delved into some polyamory a little bit, but I don't know, I don't know how you identify in that realm as far as that goes. Still, I mean, I've been flopping around in it. Um, definitely been, I, I definitely love my Mr. Wednesday, but. Really? <laughs> I didn't know that was a word you were using. I mean, no, no, I think no. that's I great. Did, I didn't but... say it was a word we were using. Oh, okay. I said, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> well, he knows it now. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure he loves me too, but in, in his own little way. Right. And, and one of the things that I have often said is that love, so many people are, get so hung up on that word about using the word love, but really it's just a word. Like, it, it is. I, I mean, it can, it's a descriptive word and it means something. I don't want to act sound like it doesn't mean anything, but like I've had partners in the past where I've said, I love you. Right. And they kind of panic. And I'm like, it's okay. Right. (laughs) You don't need to say it to me because I feel it from you. Right. And that's what really matters. Right. Anyway, we're getting off of the topic. (laughs) We are, but that's okay because it was sort of a good topic to be on. Right. So I, I I don't actually see myself, I don't actually see as, see, being married as being any in any way connected with my poly it's the marriage is uh, a, a type of relationship it is a type of many different types of relationships that right should we go on to the next topic we should oh this is a good one you are going to tell us about your article called living together <laughs> on the same vein of uh polyamory and that sort of thing i want to preface this with yes this is my article (laughs) i have articles in the magazine far more often than i want to yeah you're a Um, good writer i i don't 
see myself as being a good writer. I see myself as being a semi-competent writer with really good editors. <laughs> so uh, with that in mind, I mean, this is a this is a topic. Honestly, what it was was I, I coming up to the end of the month and I realized that I needed um, another article. And the 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 news that came out of um, oh, Somerville, 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 Massachusetts, about them recognizing polyamorous relationships. Uh, for me, it was super exciting because it validates a way of life that I already live. Right. I don't want to get too deep into that conversation because this is a podcast episode coming yes. up. Uh, we're going to bring Christina on here. Yes. And the three of us are going to have a conversation, share a little bit of our story about um, how we evolved from uh, living separately to living together. Right. To that originally started out kind of in mostly in financial self defense for all of us. Right. But it has evolved into something that is more of a family thing. Right. So exactly. So we'll we'll talk more about that when we get into it. But really, the the nuts and bolts of this particular article is really about um, the legalization of it and what that represents. And for a lot of people, right. there's still a lot of states in the United States where living in a plural relationship kind of a situation like we are right is not legal. Right. It's not just not legally recognized. It's not legal. Right. Now, nobody gets prosecuted for it because it's not worth pursuing for a, a prosecutor. But, right. But it is definitely something that um, it's, a, it's a step in the direction of some of our more relationship liberties and our uh, orientation liberties and uh, the way that we connect with each other. And that kind of a thing. Right. And uh, it, it, it fosters, it, it recognizes and it fosters different kinds of relationship scenarios that don't have to be defined by just one man and one woman. Right. And I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> I bet you are because it, it totally embraces you. <laughs> it, it really is. And, and this particular arrangement that we have with Christina and the way that we live together and the way that we are a family. I, I just actually got into a conversation with, um, you remember TC? Yeah. So TC wrote us. Hi TC. <laughs> <laughs> TC wrote us. He listens to the podcast. TC is a longtime fan of, uh, of ours, of, of Ellie's really. Uh, he was a fan of her photography and all of that. And, and he was a little curious and at the same time, Expressed something that indicated that he really didn't understand how it worked. Uh, right. Uh, you know, he was asking a little bit about. Uncommon. He was asking a little bit about uh, our daughter, right, and how that works for her. What he said was his words. Sorry, TC. I'm totally gonna. I'm totally gonna out you. Um, <laughs> he said, "I wonder how that works for your daughter living in a menage a trois." Oh no. <laughs> And I'm like, wait a minute. No, no, not like that. <laughs> it's not like that at all. Uh, we don't do, no one, no one has right. sex in front of right. our daughter. No one. No we one. don't, we act like mom and dad. Right? All, all three of us. <laughs> and when it's Christina and I, we act like mom and dad. Right. Like, 
she, I would like to say she never even hears us have sex, but I know how thin the walls are in that <laughs> house. But, but it's not, it's not weird for her any more than it's weird for any kid to hear their parents have sex. Right. Or just know that it's happening. And, and we don't, none of us do anything in front of her that isn't a typical two parent right, home. Right. You know, I mean, everyone is affectionate with each other, but not in any sort of inappropriate way. Right. There's so much more depth to this story. Oh, yeah, that we will go into much more when we have our our full podcast. But it is a, the article article came off really well. It's a little bit, as much as I hate having my voice in the magazine, when I have my voice in the magazine, you're going to hear about my life because (laughs) I don't have anything else to talk about. (laughs) So... It is a little bit personal, but at the same time, I it's not a, hey, bragging, look at me, look at this thing that I'm doing. But to me, it's like, I feel like we're living a positive example of how this works. Right. We're living an example of how, for most people that live in poly situations where they're cohabitating and that sort of thing, I feel like we're living a shining example of how this is successful and how this is a positive thing, not just for the people involved, but for our kid. Right. She's growing up in a sex positive household. She's comfortable with talking about her body with us. She is, when the time comes for her to have sex, which is probably a lot sooner than I'm ready for. Thank you, COVID, for putting that off. <laughs> she, <laughs> I know that she will feel comfortable with coming to one of the three of us and right. saying, hey, there's this boy, I mean, or it could be a girl. She's right. kind she of, does, she likes it all. But she's like, I, but if it's a boy, that's what we have to be concerned about. Right. Hey, there's this boy, we're kind of feeling a little squishy, and I think that there's a possibility that it may end up being sex. I know she will feel comfortable having that conversation with one of us, knowing that we will help her figure out how to take care of that. Right. And... That is not something that I have ever felt comfortable with saying about any of her older siblings. Nope. So we must be doing something right. Right. So that's, that's anyway, that's just kind of how I feel about it. And thank God Christina's good at math. And thank God Christina's good at math. <laughs> oh my God. So our daughter was working on, so we have her working on um, getting herself ready for the uh, distance learning that's coming up. Uh, hopefully all of you are lucky enough that your children can be distance, can, can learn from a distance, not have to go to school is what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> and so that your family and your kid and everybody can be safe. Um, but anyway, we are getting her ready for that. And we, math is something that she just really has a hard time with. And she's in a level of math that I have long since forgotten either that or they're doing it completely differently than i did it because she shows it to me and i'm just like my eyes cross i have no (laughs) idea and christina gets it she's like oh yeah yeah you just got to do do this thing and and do this and she's having to do a little refresher herself so i don't feel too bad (laughs) but uh yeah i mean it's so cool having an extra parent in the house who knows this stuff and is better able able to help her out with it right so you know (laughs) Holly parenting for the win. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we're still going on about this and we're trying to move on to the next thing. Where are we at with time? Oh, yeah, we need to take a break. Oh, yes. All right. Well, we'll, we'll be right back after this.
Hey, whose boobs are those? What are you doing over here? Uh, I'm just over here getting my profile filled out on SAF Social. Ooh, and what is SAF Social? SAF Social is a new social network for lifestyle people. It's super cool. It works a lot like Facebook as far as posts and feeds and pages and stuff. And people can share sexy photos on a site that is hidden from prying eyes. Mm, like that. And that looks sexy and fun. Can anyone join? I mean, can I make my own profile? Yeah. And the best part is it's totally free. Just go to safsocial.com and register. I can't wait to see your new sexy profile. Oh, and be sure to follow the ENM magazine page while you're there. Uh, I'm going to go register right now. Okay. Got those bills paid. Woohoo. <laughs> Okay, and next up we have a really awesome article about by erasure written by Kennedy Curse, who is here to talk about his article called A Bisexual Experience. Hi, Kennedy. Hi, Kennedy. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. <laughs> it's good to have you on here. I'm really loving that we can kind of bring all of our contributors in here and, and have them be a part of this uh, monthly flip through the magazine that we're doing. It gives it a little bit more personality, so I'm yes. kind of excited about that. It's awesome to talk yeah. to everybody. So tell us about your article. Tell us, I mean, first of all, this is like a personal thing for you, a personal experience for you. Yeah, definitely. And it's, and I think that's kind of why I, I titled it as such sort of a, a bisexual experience, because this is really about um, sort of exploring my experiences with bi, with bi erasure, and then also translating that into actionable points for the community and um, expanding on issues that other people face as well within it. That's a really right. great thing, too, because I know you actually called me out. <laughs> you called me out in your article. And I, was like, oh, I never really even looked at it that way. And so when, when, when we have an opportunity to actually point people out and say, this is that thing that you do that invalidates me. And well, it wasn't so much a validation. It was, it was I, um, I quoted... Um, I actually quoted an Australian playwright in that line called Finnegan Kruckmeyer, uh, where it says, um, of course he is right, but of course he is wrong. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it was great. It was perfect. But I mean, it's, it's a good thing, though. I mean, because it mm -hmm. actually, it, you know, it took the conversation of we were because we were talking about the play that you were in or that you, you produced last year, which mm -hmm. was fantastic. Uh, was I really so awesome. wish everyone had an opportunity to see this. But, it, you know, in that thing, I'm just like, if they only just they just need Polly, that's all they mm -hmm. need is they just need Polly. But then you pointed out how, yes, but that doesn't actually work either. That, that, fi that fixes, that's, it's kind of a bandaid in some, in some situations. Like it, it, for lots of people, that is, that is the answer. Like me, having access to polyamory and having access to that, um, to, to this world, um, is, is enough, but also some people find it and can find invalidation in that invalidation of their own identities because they are ultimately um have their identity surmised by their primary partner or we, or we really need to generally primary view we really mm -hmm. need to give our listeners some background because you and i are going on about this thing and they yes. have no idea what we're <laughs> yeah. talking about so t t the premise of the play I and mean, we're going to end up running a little yes. over on our time anyway so <laughs> the premise of the play 
Yes, the, was... the play the play was by um, a playwright named a British playwright named Mike Bartlett, um, and it was about a bisexual a a, a bisexual man um, uh, who was in a long term gay relationship for a good portion of his life. Um, who then falls in love with a woman while him and his partner are on a break. Um, and it's very much in the style of um, American playwrights like Neil Labute, even though we don't want to talk about Neil Labute anymore because he's kind of skeezy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, it, it's very much um, the, it says what a lot of people go through in a very heartbreaking way because it's right. it's the two people that this character loves most um forcing a choice onto him right mm -hmm. and then and was, his his father gets involved and that's a whole thing yeah, right. <laughs> right, right and it just it was just it was what you just yank back and forth as the as the viewer you know the audience you're just yanked back and forth your sympathy for him and and at the same time, anybody that's ever been caught in a relationship situation like this, where you're being pulled back and forth, that's incredibly relatable, even from a monogamous perspective. Mm -hmm. But then that throws in the twist of the fact that he's got a gay partner, and now he's discovered discovered is that the right term that he yeah. also is a bisexual side to him too, because he also appreciate has this love for this woman, and both of them are making him choose which direction he needs to go with that. I cried I think both he, times I watched it. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. it I, I think good. the, the amazing, one of the amazing things about the script is that it could have been, it could have been produced in a couple different ways. Like me as a bisexual person, um, identified with his struggles as a bisexual. So I was, um, very much, um, pursuing that angle. Um, but I think you could, this play that play could have been easily produced as a play more about monogamy and poly and poly and um really focusing on that angle but that's not as much um what i was it focusing on because, yeah so, so that's the basic that's the basic background and that's yeah, where that's i spent the last 10 to 15 minutes of that play going you just need polyamory. Yeah. I wanted to just stand up and yell. <laughs> and so anyway, but that brings us to the article that you wrote mm -hmm. about how easy it is to stumble into that invalidation of bisexual mm -hmm. people about uh, one of the things that you use term in there. And it's something that I hear often is, am I not gay enough mm -hmm. um, to appeal to someone who identifies more as gay, who could satisfy that is satisfy is that the right word like i'm so i'm always so afraid mm. that i'm going to be it's, offensive it's, in something it, that i'm going to say because i'm a cis yeah. white guy you know what i'm saying <laughs> no you're totally you're, to, you're totally all right like it's <laughs> i the a lot of the um the the am i am i um i, I think i think i i think i use am i am i not queer enough um because the um i think a lot of times um in this in feelings of that like I've never really um, like like I've had I've had guys on on grinder be assholes to me, but I but I can kind of sh I can kind of shake that off, and you kind of get used to that. But it's it's harder when um, your identity isn't seen in spaces that you're supposed to be part of. Um, so the the anecdote I, I I talked about at the beginning where I went to a um a magazine launch that I was featured in and, and I sort of 
didn't really get uh, the audience on my side because of the way I looked um, and, and, and the way I was presenting more traditionally cishet, even though I am a bisexual mm-hmm. queer person. Right. <laughs> um, you were very uh, it, urban. Yes. So it, so it was very, um, so that's, that's a problem that a lot of people face on um, when going into um, queer spaces, uh, especially bisexuals, because you just don't, you just don't feel as seen often. And oftentimes when you are, are seen, you are seen in a way that is objectifying. And I talk about that in the tail end of the article. Yeah. Um, where we talk about um, unicorn hunting and the sort of toxic culture around around that, um, right? And I think I think uh, I I've got another article kicking around where I want to actually go more in depth on on that culture and talk about how we can um, how a community how our community can try and work more eth- to do that more ethically and with more equity for all for all the involved partners. Um, Cause I think it's, it's something that a lot of couples really do get very excited about because it's, you know, it's something new. It's, it's a way for people to, to spice things up, but then you're putting another person in a position where they have this, where, where there's a, this massive power imbalance. And sometimes right. that power is, um, sort of given to you in the case like I discussed how some bisexual men are put into more of a um, prototypical bull uh, position in, in like cuckold dynamics um, mm-hmm. right. where um, and where you're seemingly given um, power within a sexual dynamic but still within the entire relationship dynamic there's othering and right. and, and ultimately that othering um, can be very harmful um, and so can sometimes put um, those people into dangerous situations because the two people that you are now getting in bed with haven't had the appropriate discussions that a lot of polyamorous people do go through before right. bringing people in before ha- before like figuring out their jealousy triggers figuring out how they how they can deal with jealousy in the moment and ha- having the vocabulary to so now you're just sitting between these two people who are stewing who are ticking time bombs Right. Um, and that can be a really dangerous position to be in, um, especially for a lot of the um, bisexual women who are um, who end up in these in, in those places. Well, and in either case of it, uh, you used a word mm-hmm. commodify and I, and I totally you become a commodity in somebody else's relationship instead of an active partner. And that mm-hmm. is a thing that really, really, I think, resonates in the situations with unicorn hunters and that sort of thing where this isn't a person. They are an accessory. And and that is a, a huge problem in our community, in the particularly in the uh, the the more the swinger side of the community. But I also see people who identify as polyamory who are essentially mm-hmm. unicorn hunting. And right. I mean, we we have a unicorn, but she's free. She <laughs> right. yeah. there is no commodity there. It's, she's a whole person. Yeah, exactly. We very much there, use it in a joking manner. <laughs> right. Yeah. There, there's a way that it happens, but it it, it doesn't mm-hmm. happen in a way that is predisposed. It has to happen in a way that is uh, it, the relationship has to form organically. And mm-hmm. and and I, I you know I say we have a unicorn, but she's my girlfriend. She just happens. We just happen to have a relationship. Yes. that is the three of us. So. 
I, I, I kind of wanted to take advantage of the opportunity to say that because I never, mm-hmm. in our magazine, actually, the way it works out is like my article and your article are right side by side and they, and they, they almost seem contrasting to each other. To an outside reader, they might seem that way, but they're actually, yeah. we're going to get into that in the, you know, soon anyway. But mm-hmm. I, I really wanted to come on here, and I, I part of the reason why I wanted to bring you on here was I wanted to personally thank you, because I'm learning a lot about, um, about I mean, I'm not bisexual, but I'm learning a lot about what it means to be bisexual and how the struggles that bisexual men in particular face. I mean, bisexual women have their own set of struggles too, but, um, but I really think it's important that our community understands what bisexual men have to deal with and, Mm -hmm. and by erasure and how we contribute to that and how we, uh, how we can help uh, recognize that and minimize that damage on our friends that are, are the people that we know and love that are bisexual. So I, I just really wanted to have an opportunity to show my appreciation and, and say thank you for putting this article together. It was very it was informative. Very informative. And I really enjoyed I'm it. I'm super excited to have it a part of our offering this month. It's really, really cool. And I'm really glad that you came on to talk to us. Yeah. Thank, thank you guys. It's it, this, I love like this is this is a very important subject. I think we're going to actually like bring you on for like a whole episode or at least a part, maybe maybe a half an episode to talk about it in a little bit more depth where we got a little bit more time to kind of explore all of these things. So I'll give you a little bit of time to prepare for that a week. Yeah, that'd be great. (laughs) And then we'll we'll do a full episode or a partial episode on that one. So that sounds good to you. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks guys. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and then the next page, the next thing up is the artist spotlight series. I, so now one of the things that I'm trying to do with our monthly, uh, now that we have this new app that we're using is I, it is my goal each month to have each one of the contributors come onto the podcast and talk a little bit about their article because right. I they are excited about their article. Right. I'm excited about their article, but really I want to get their voices. I want I want our audience to see the just the awesome people that we have involved. Right. And the and hear their passion behind it. Right. Now I don't feel too bad about Karen not being here tonight because Karen's been on the podcast a couple of times. She has. So but at the same time her artist is a really cool dude. Right. So I... uh, we're going to try not to butcher his name because I've not actually spoken to him. But I'm judging by A, where he lives, B, how he spells his name, right, and C, what he looks like, that I'm assuming that his name is pronounced Jorge. Yes. And Jorge, if that's not your name, if that's not how you pronounce your name, I'm really sorry. You can straighten us out when we get you on the podcast sometime in the next couple of weeks, because that is our goal. We're yes. going to try and bring him, him on, on and talk about his amazing art, which is what I'm really excited about. Me too. I keep wanting to go, I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> I really like it. I, I, I really like his art. Yeah. It's, it's three-dimensional. It's... Um, it's just, it has a great flow and he has some good concepts behind it. And you all should go check out the pictures because. 
So for me, what I'm excited about, we've been producing a magazine now for two and a half, a little over two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And we have never had an artist that works in a three-dimensional medium. No, we haven't. It's all painters or photographers. Right. And which is great. I mean, but... yeah, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. We've had we have had some really, really fantastic artists. Yes. Absolutely. But I am so excited to have a three-dimensional artist and the quality of his work and the 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 work that he is producing with his body casts. Right. Is amazing. It, it is I I look at this stuff and I'm like. I would hang that on my wall. Right. I, he has several pieces that are in the magazine that I would without question hang on my wall. They're absolutely gorgeous. And the, you know, light them just right, and they're just, oh, man, they're so good. So, uh, I mean, we could sit here and we can talk about it and we could try and describe it to you, but really what you should do is go check out the magazine yeah. uh, and, and see for yourself because it is really, really... Uh, it's a shame that he lives so far away from right? us. I'd be like, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ah, and then next up is your article. <laughs> uh, your articles are so much fun. I, I'm really, I was actually, I was reading your article today or reading your article this month as I was you know, getting them all laid out and everything. And I was realizing how much your writing has improved, that you're putting a lot more into it. You're putting a lot more energy into it. Uh, you still wait to the last possible minute to write your article, <laughs> which just is really frustrating. But you, the quality of your writing is really, really good. And I love the stories that come with it, the stories of... Uh, Mr. Wednesday. Yes. I mean, I wish you had other partners so that it wasn't always about Mr. Wednesday. And I'm sure that your 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 readers are thinking, you know, that Mr. Wednesday is your guy. <laughs> you know, and I'm okay with that because I know I know how you are. I know where you I know where you are. I know I, I know how it works. But uh, this particular recipe, I'm super excited. So about. So yummy! It is. Yeah. It was so yummy because I made it for Mr. Wednesday and. Did it all up for the magazine, but I also made it for you and Christina and our daughter uh, a week ago or so. Mm -hmm. And so you guys were able to finally taste the divineness that was the Chinese barbecue pork. Uh, And I'll tell you, you know, and I read the article and and uh, Wednesday's son, do we identify him by name? No. He's just Wednesday's son? Yeah. Wednesday's son said that you ruined barbecue pork for him forever and i'm like kind of eye roll whatever (laughs) and then i had it and he's right (laughs) because i mean usually when you get barbecue pork from a restaurant it tends to be um really very dry. dry really dry yeah and this is so moist. And I almost didn't use the red food coloring when I made it. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to somebody else and they were like, you gotta put the red food coloring in. Right? That's what makes it Chinese barbecue pork. It wouldn't be the same without it. <laughs> so I made sure I made it red. Um, of course, it wasn't actually what I had planned on making for my article this month. I was going to make steamed buns and they were... Not eh. so good, huh? Well, they weren't bad. And they were a crap ton of work. Right. But... They were not amazing like I expected them to be, but the barbecue pork that I put in them was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you know me. I, I, I eat like a two-year-old. I know. And the idea of steamed dough just sounds as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> steamed dough. <laughs> it's not steamed dough. It's steamed buns. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure it was delicious. They were pretty good. Yeah. But honestly, the pork on its own was just really good. That and, was a thing. Yeah, and putting it in all that dough, it just took away from how good it was. Right. So if you want to try that recipe out, it is available in the magazine. You will have to go take a look, and there's some great pictures of it and the story that goes along yes. with the article as well. That's one of the things that I really love about Ellie's For the Love of Food article. She always manages to incorporate a little bit of her non-monogamous lifestyle in with her recipe, <laughs> yes, which then makes her like every single other recipe blog out there that you've got to read all of this <laughs> stuff. But at least it's interesting. All those other recipe websites are boring. It's like, get me to the damn recipe. With Ellie's articles, you want to read the article. <laughs> and then the last article. We actually, uh, this month, we, we could have done the Temptation article this month, but... We waited because we want to do the tattoo issue. Right. And we actually have a couple of other temptations lined up. So it's looking like things are kind of starting to bounce back to normal, sort of. Right. Um, so this are, this issue is a little light on pages, but we have some really, really seriously quality content. Yes. Very good. So this month we do not have a confessions article. So Lola Down is the last article in the magazine this month. Right. And this one is kind of... I, I adore them. I don't even... We've never met them. No. I don't know them other than what you have read through the magazine. But I just adore their relationship right. and the way it's, that they interact is, with one another. It is anyway, quite cute. Anyway, the, the, the premise of their article is, is that... They are getting ready. They're 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 getting out from underneath of the lockdown. Yes, and she decides she wants to go out. <laughs> Except she found out that she can't go out the way she wants to go out. <laughs> right. <laughs> because even though we're not so much locked down anymore, most of the restaurants you can't go in and sit down and eat. Right. Or there's hours of waiting. That too. So they don't end up going out. But they have a good time anyways. They always have a good time. <laughs> she always has a good time. Anyway, it is a great, it's a, it's a, it's a great article. It's a great little story. Uh, I know what the next article is and <laughs> I need to find myself a model and a couple of boys. Ooh. It's pretty raunchy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely hot. I was like, ooh. You're so naughty. I like that about you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's, uh, gosh, is that it? Where are we at? Wow. That's it for the uh, August issue. Yeah. Man. Well, like you said, we're a little light on pages, but the stories that are in there, the articles that are in there are so good. So as you're listening to our podcast, I hope that you're seeing the changes in the quality and the audio that we're doing and some of the different things that we're trying out um, and trying to make sure that we are 
having nice sound and good even <laughs> level sound because we struggle with that a little bit too. But uh, hopefully you are seeing that difference and you keep coming back for more. We are super excited to be doing these podcasts again. Yes, definitely. And um, really excited to how it works hand in hand with the magazine and how uh, it gets lets us get to express ourselves a little bit in ways we might not otherwise and um, hopefully kind of steer you toward the magazine and check it out. And Absolutely. hopefully you're getting some enjoyment from it. Actually, that's a good thing we should talk about. If you have visited the magazine, I would love for you to go to our website, www.enm, Echo Nora Michael, enmmagazine.com. And at the just right above the blog, there's a link there for a survey I would love for you to go fill out that survey yes. and let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you'd like to see more of. Uh, there's, you can see how it works in there. It'll take you, it'll take you maybe five, 10 minutes tops. Um, but we would really love to get some feedback from our listeners, from our readers right. to see where you're at with us and, and how we can make what we're doing better and how we can make it more something that you will want to read. Right. That, so that is great. We definitely need them. There's your homework assignment. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we're all done. So there's done. more love from the loves. <laughs> Bye, <Mwah. everybody>. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the ENM Talk Podcast Show with Michael and Ellie. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and comment on our show in whatever platform you're using. You can leave us a voice message by visiting our podcast at anchor.fm forward slash ENM talk podcast or by calling us at 360-524-3523. Until next time, we hope your adventures always have happy endings. <laughs>